When looking back at South Carolina's loss to the Missouri Tigers on Saturday afternoon, did the Gamecocks have certain issues that were exposed in this game, or do they simply have reoccurring themes get brought back to the surface? We'll discuss that and more today on the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You are Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecocks sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you once again for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first watch or listen every day. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And yep, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to go back and we're going to have to talk about a few takeaways from this loss to the Missouri Tigers that the Gamecocks suffered on Saturday afternoon. And it's going to involve... Some real tough discussions. Of course, some discussions that maybe you've already had amongst yourselves. Maybe some discussions that you've had with maybe a friend or family member who would listen to you vent about South Carolina's football team recently. But either way you slice it, we're going to touch on a few of those topics today. And I'm also going to talk about why this Vanderbilt game is so important for this Gamecock football team. And it is going to be a game that starts with a T, if you get my point. There's a certain phrase out there that starts with a T that describes a dangerous football game, a game that's flying under the radar. I'll let y'all sort of ponder on that until we reach that discussion point. But now, let's go ahead and talk about my first big takeaway from this football game that South Carolina played on Saturday against the Missouri Tigers, and that is this. Let's just go ahead and start with the offense. This offense is clearly heavily reliant on the defense and special teams unit on this team in order to have success. I'm going to list off all the examples from this season to prove this point, to hammer this point home. So just bear with me with this. In the Georgia State game, South Carolina got two touchdowns off-blocked punts. That means the punts were blocked and actually taken into the end zone on the same play. If you just take those two touchdowns out, it's a 21-14 game. In the second half of the Charlotte game, South Carolina's defense got three interceptions that all led to offensive touchdowns. The Gamecock offense only had to drive a collective 94 yards to score all three touchdowns. If you take those touchdowns off the board, then it's a 35-20 final. That's only a two-score football game against a team that, I believe going into this past weekend, was 1-7. They fired their head coach since then, by the way. Looking at the Kentucky game, the very first play of the game, the defense blew up a halfback stretch reverse sweep and returned the fumble down to the two-yard line of Kentucky, and it led to a touchdown the very next play. You take that touchdown out, and it's a 17-14 game late against Kentucky in Kroger Field. And then against Texas A&M, the Gamecocks, of course, got a kickoff return for a touchdown. They had an interception that they took back to the Aggies' five-yard line, and they recovered a fumble off a botched snap by the Aggies and took it back into the Aggies' red zone area, which all led, collectively, 
to 17 points. You take all that out, South Carolina probably loses that game against the Aggies. Now, I want to emphasize real quick, some of y'all probably sitting there and saying, Andrew, that's not fair to the offense. You're literally taking all of the worst case scenarios with basically everything that has already happened in some of these games and pretty much just saying that without any of that happening, the Gamecocks would just have one or two more losses guaranteed. It might sound unfair to talk about this, but again, I'm just simply trying to give you all an idea of how much this Gamecock offense because they haven't been able to do a whole lot on their own against teams with a pulse, how much they've had to lean on these other units to do things for them, to put them in good position. And that's not talking about all the times that the defense or special teams unit has done some good things, and the Gamecock offense wasn't able to capitalize on that. The Kentucky game's the best example of that. And my whole point with this is, the Gamecocks finally played an opponent in the Missouri Tigers where the special teams unit, besides some really solid punting from Kai Kroger once again, they didn't do a whole lot to really affect the game to a great extent. The defense, they didn't get any turnovers. They didn't, you know, get maybe an interception return inside the Tigers' red zone area. They didn't do any of that on Saturday. But, you know... Again, the punting team still helped out the defense a great deal. The defense definitely did not have a lot of good moments, but they did enough. They held Missouri still to 23 points, which with a with an offense that has the talent that South Carolina's offense has should give you an opportunity to win this football game. South Carolina's offense, all they had to simply do was go out there and make plays. Obviously, it's not as simple as I just made it out to be, but, you know, for once... Go out there against a defense that is pretty top-notch without a whole lot of help from these other units and go make something happen. South Carolina's offense could not do that. They haven't been able to do that for the most part all season. The only reason that has, this hasn't been talked about a whole lot recently is because South Carolina's been winning. And as the old adage goes in sports or really anything in the professional world, winning cures all if you're winning even if it looks ugly maybe you're doing some shady stuff behind the scenes to maybe make that profit that you're making nobody's going to bat an eye about it as long as you're not crossing certain lines obviously a whole other discussion the point being South Carolina's offense cannot help themselves enough and you know this is what makes South Carolina's offense so mind-boggling for South Carolina's fan base this year. Because, again, you have a lot of talent on this offense. You got Spencer Rattler, of course, at quarterback. You got guys like Austin Stogner, Jaheim Bell, Antoine Wells, Josh Van. The list goes on and on and on. And I'm not going to, of course, talk about it, but I know that the fans have been talking about it. I know the fans are leaving these games at Williams-Brice, and they're talking amongst themselves, and you're all probably saying to each other, you know, I wonder if so-and-so had this kind of talent on the offensive side of the ball, I wonder how they would do with them. I wonder how they would do maybe this kind of offensive formation, or maybe if they were in this kind of offensive system. And obviously, you look up in Knoxville, Tennessee right now, you look at what they're doing on offense with a second-year coach, by the way, it's pretty hard not to have those kinds of discussions, those kind of discussions. So the point being, South Carolina's offense, you know, it's been proven at this point for at least this season 
for the rest of the way, if they face a defense that can pretty much stymie them for the majority of the football game, then unless they get help from the special teams unit, multiple special teams units, and the defense, then you might as well just go ahead and pencil in 17, 20, 24 points because that's what you're going to see from this offense. So there's also one particular issue that's been prevalent on South Carolina's defensive side of the ball that's been there for most of the season. And it's more likely to rear its ugly head again soon against some of South Carolina's opponents that they're going to be facing down the line. And I'm going to touch on all that in just a few moments. But first, I want to let y'all know about our friends over at BetOnline who are the sponsors for today's show. BetOnline, of course, is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season where you can find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, and analysis on every game that you can find. They're your continued source for all of your sport wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute score updates for every sport out there. They're the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including the Major League Baseball World Series, which is currently tied at one game apiece between the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros. You've also got mixed martial arts, boxing, and golf as well. So head on over to Bet Online on your personal laptop or use your mobile device to learn more because Bet Online is where the game starts. Welcome back to this Monday edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your South Carolina Gamecocks every single day. Okay, so obviously a lot of the attention for the next week, as I mentioned previously, is going to be on the offensive side of the ball, and it's completely understandable why that is the case. But we do need to be fair on this show. We do need to also talk about some issues that have been taking place on the defensive side of the ball. In particular, the defense's ability for South Carolina to be able to handle any sort of misdirection whatsoever. This Missouri offensive attack, what made it so unique, and as I termed it, a gimmicky offense in the middle of last week, was the fact that Missouri's offense, they don't really push the ball down the field a whole lot. They really go in the short and intermediate passing game to the edges of the field. They try to attack the perimeter. And they do a lot of simple, as I kind of look at it, dink and dunk type stuff. I mean, you saw it in Saturday's game. Some play action misdirection plays where the quarterback just simply dumped off the ball to a flat route, basically, which was being run by an H-back or a tight end. You also saw a lot of jet sweeps. You saw some read options. You saw some zone reads. You saw some screens. You saw all kinds of different concepts, both in the running attack and the passing attack that was utilized by the Tigers, where the ball was probably only traveling maybe at times one or two yards beyond the line of scrimmage before you know, the receiver or the intended target got the ball and then actually took off. Despite all of that, Missouri just whooped South Carolina's defense, especially early on in the football game. Why is that the case? It's pretty clear and simple. South Carolina's defense just cannot handle misdirection 
in any way, shape, or form. And don't get me wrong. I know that misdirection is not always going to be defended perfectly. It is ridiculous to assume that any defense in football can go out there and be prepared for any kind of misdirection play that can be tossed out by the offensive coaching staff for the opposing team. It is a ridiculous thought to have. It would be quite naive of me to say that, and I'm not saying that. But I will say this. This has been a reoccurring issue since the Georgia game. Now, you could maybe excuse the Georgia game because there was a lot of injuries that took place leading into that game because of the physical Arkansas and Georgia State matchups the Gamecocks had on the defensive side of the ball, which meant there was a lot of shuffling in the starting lineup. But even since then, simple things like read option, the amount of times that I see Gamecock defenders, and I mean multiple Gamecock defenders on read options, just simply crash towards the running back to where the quarterback's got a free lane just to run right outside, basically run a semicircle pattern outside the offensive tackle that's down blocking and gets at least six, seven, eight yards or more. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And this kind of stuff has been happening over and over and over again throughout the course of this season. And Read option is not supposed to be exactly that complicated to defend, at least if you are that play side defensive end, where basically you're just reading the quarterback's eyes and the mesh point. If the quarterback sits there and is looking at a defensive end, that's a simple key of, hey, this quarterback could keep the football here. So you need to squat down and sit tight. And at the same time, maybe just pay attention to any potential pull blocker that's coming over to your side of the field. Basically, those are the two simple keys that that defensive end has to read for. And so many times, South Carolina just doesn't seem to be able to do that. I'm not sure if it's a coaching thing, but to me, a big issue with this, the inability to handle misdirection in any way, shape, or form for this defense is how much the second and third level defenders are relying on what the defensive line is doing. And don't get me wrong. You have to do that at certain points. You have to do that in certain formations and in certain play calls that are made by the defensive coordinator. I'm not Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever do that. But the thing is, South Carolina's defense seems to be almost overly reliant on what those frontline defenders do. And so if just one person messes up in the defensive front, and I'm not going to single anyone out here, but if just one person messes up, that could mean for South Carolina's defense, at least up to this point in the year, that you've got three or four guys that are out of place. What does everyone always say about defense? It only takes one guy to create a big play for the opposing team. One mistake by one player can lead to a touchdown any given play. So now imagine what could happen when South Carolina's got three, four, five guys who were completely out of position because they were reading what one guy did in the front. That's something that has got to get fixed. That's something that's got to be changed uh, for the rest of this season and beyond. One more takeaway from this Missouri game, and then we will officially move on from what will happen on Saturday. My final takeaway, good coaching can always trump more talented teams when they have just adequate talent. Now, again, I touched on this in the previous show, my reaction show to South Carolina's loss um, against the Missouri Tigers. I already did kind of allude to the fact that a big reason why Missouri won this game was because of the fact that, simply put, Missouri's defensive coaching staff, they clearly know how to utilize the players on that side of the ball. But the other thing is, they are unique. They are multiple in what they do. 
They give you a ton of different looks. They are not predictable in terms of how they're going to line up, the kind of, you know, sort of little hints that they'll give to offensive linemen or quarterbacks in terms of, you know, where they're going to blitz, you know, who is going to blitz. Missouri's defense is phenomenal with this kind of stuff. I said this in the middle of last week. Again, not trying to act like I'm I'm Nostradamus or anything like that. And I'm sure the coaching staff for South Carolina saw this too. But despite that, and despite what I would have to believe would have been a ton of preparation for all that, South Carolina's offense just could not handle what Missouri's defense threw at him on Saturday. Spencer Rattler even admitted in a post-game presser after the Missouri loss that there were times where it basically just kind of seemed like that the offense didn't know what to do against Missouri's defense, what they were showing. And, of course, obviously, he probably got a sit-down talk from Coach Shane Beamer about, you know, why he shouldn't make that kind of comment because it indirectly throws your coaches under the bus. But not to turn this into, again, you know, talking about Coach Satterfield for a few seconds here, that just goes to show you what good coaching can do in a football game. Blake Baker, I believe, is the defensive coordinator for the Missouri Tigers. I think that he was just simply a linebacker coach on this staff last year. I think he was a part of last year's staff. Steve Wilkes, who is now the interim head coach for the Carolina Panthers, was a defensive coordinator last year, which just based on that notion and all the NFL experience he brings to the table, you would have thought that that hire would have worked out swimmingly for Eli Drinkwitz and that Missouri Tiger coaching staff, and it didn't, which shocked me personally being a Carolina Panthers fan and having seen what Steve Wilkes has done as a defensive coordinator, but... Missouri was terrible last year. They were one of the worst defenses in the SEC, ranked like 100th or worse in multiple major defensive categories, statistically speaking. Now, they're on pace to be potentially a top five defense in the SEC in almost every major statistical category on the defensive side of the ball. And again, their talent, their lineup It did not change that much. They returned, I think, eight, nine starters. So, yes, you could say, well, they have a lot of continuity. When you have a lot of continuity, you should be better on that side of the ball. But as South Carolina fans have probably seen now from this year, continuity does not always equal to linear progression on that side of the ball. Missouri made a change at that coordinator position. Blake Baker obviously knew what changes he needed to make, what kind of defense he wanted to run. And he, it seems like, lets Missouri's defenders pretty much just fly around out there. But again, he's still multiple in what he shows an opposing offense. And it led to great success for them against South Carolina. It led to great success for them against Georgia, against Florida. I tried to say Missouri had played in a lot of close football games because of that defense. What I didn't mention last week was if Missouri's offense could put it together in any way, shape, or form, Missouri could win the game. I just pretty much said that Missouri's defense was at the minimum going to make it tough for South Carolina's offense. They made it even tougher for them than I thought they were going to in Columbia, South Carolina. So, again... And you can look at 24-7 sports team talent composite rankings. You know, I'm not going to pull them up right now. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I guarantee you South Carolina ranks ahead of Missouri in that ranking system by at least a few spots. You wouldn't have known that if you watched the game on Saturday afternoon. So, as I promised all of y'all, that is the last that we are going to talk of that Missouri game. We are officially going to move on now 
to the Vanderbilt game. A game that is now suddenly a trap game for South Carolina. Why is that? We're going to talk about that in depth in just a few moments. But first, we're going to have a quick word from a few sponsors. Welcome back to today's edition of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, where we cover your team every single day in just 30 minutes. All right, so it's time to give a quick initial preview of South Carolina's upcoming matchup against the Vanderbilt Commodores, a matchup now that is going to mean a little bit more from the outside looking in for South Carolina, as of course, the Gamecocks are now still trying to get to bowl eligibility. They are sitting at 5-3 and three currently, while the Commodores have the exact opposite record, sitting at 3-5 and five at this moment in time. Now, I want to warn South Carolina fans real quick, and again, I'm not going to try to build Vanderbilt up to be, you know, to sound like they're the Kansas City Chiefs of college football, okay? I'm not going to try to do anything like that on today's show. But I do want you to understand, without having looked at any film yet from Vanderbilt, This is a different Commodores team this year. This is a team that can score some points on offense. They showed that earlier on this season. Now, they have struggled a little bit more since they have gone into conference play, but this is a team that nearly came back and defeated the Missouri Tigers in Columbia, Missouri two weekends ago. This is a team that, in the first half, against an undefeated Ole Miss team at the time, looked like that they were going to you know, take that game all the way down to the wire. Ole Miss is right now currently sitting at 8-1 and one in a borderline top 10 team in college football. So the point is, you cannot sleep on the Vanderbilt Commodores, okay? This is not your 2021 Vanderbilt Commodores. Now, they're not like the Vanderbilt Commodores of the James Franklin era right now, but they are a better football team. Now, defensively, obviously, is their Achilles heel, which is a bit surprising considering the fact that Clark Lee is a defensive-minded head coach. So, you know, could we see the Commodores maybe make some changes on that side of the ball schematically coming out of their second bye week? We're going to talk about that later on in the week. But the thing I want to discuss about that could make this game such a trap game for the Gamecocks is the emotional dynamics surrounding this game. Now, again... One last time, going back to the Missouri game. I'm sorry I lied to all of y'all, but we're going to talk about it real quick one last time. The post-game press conferences from Shane Beamer and the players that did talk to the media, which were Spencer Rattler, Austin Stogner, Nick Emmon, Warren Debo Williams. I was there for all those press conferences. The thing that I picked up on with all of those guys was how dejected they were and how disappointed they were and how visibly upset they were that they lost that game to Missouri. And it wasn't like, you know, a wow I can't believe we actually lost that game. It, it had the feeling of, you know, these guys really felt like they were they were ready for this game. That they understood that Missouri was going to bring somewhat of a challenge, you know, especially defensively. And despite all that, and despite their best efforts, you know, they couldn't get it done. And I have to admit, if I'm a Gamecock fan, I would worry about a bit of a carryover effect into this game. Now, you would assume for South Carolina's locker room, the way that Coach Beamer preaches the culture, the family atmosphere, how tight the group is, and the amount of experience on that roster, that that's not going to happen. But y'all, you still got to remember, 
this we're talking about 18 to 23, 24 year olds on this team. A lot of kids or young adults that are just trying to navigate their way through life for the first time on their own. There's a lot of other dynamics that are going on in their life that, you know, a lot of people who maybe are listening or watching to the show haven't had to go through in several years. You know, it is a real big part of their life in terms of growth as a human, you know. So you think about all that and you think about how fragile one's emotions can be at times, especially with a game like this. That could carry over into this game. You look at Vanderbilt's side of things. Vanderbilt, again, disappointed, probably yes, because their comeback attempt against the Missouri Tigers did fall short a couple weekends back. But I think that this is a Vandy team that probably at least feels confident that, look, you know, depending on how, you know, the cookie crumbles, I guess, to say the least, in a football game and the way that their offense and defense plays, they can be in any football game. They can at least put a scare into teams that are not just above and beyond way more talented than them. And that echelon, of course, is teams like Georgia and Alabama. So, and you combine that with the fact that they have not defeated the Gamecocks in 13 years. I guarantee y'all, the older players on that team are going to talk about that. They're going to use that as external motivation, probably in a healthy way, but they are going to use that as a reason to really get up for this game. They are going to get up for this game. They've had a bye week. They've had some extra time to rest and recuperate from the Missouri contest that took place a couple weekends ago. And again, this is a very improved football team. So with all that being said, there's a couple different scenarios that could take place here. South Carolina could Bounce back from the Missouri game. They could wipe the slate clean, forget what all happened, go out there against Vanderbilt, feel confident that they are the better team, know that they're the better team, but go out there and still execute what they need to do. Do the little things right and just impose their will on a team that, again, has they've defeated for 13 straight years. They have way more talent than. So... That could happen, and the Gamecocks, you know, maybe they struggle at the start like they have for a lot of games on offense, but they run away with it at the end, and it's not really a close game. Or South Carolina could let the sting of the Missouri loss carry over throughout the week. Maybe they don't completely get it out of the locker room. There's some guys where their heads are still stuck on October the 29th when they should be looking ahead to, uh, to November the 6th, I believe or November the 5th, and that ends up showing in the game against Vanderbilt. Maybe they overlook Vanderbilt. They just assume, well, we can at least walk out and just beat these guys because we've done it for several years. Maybe that doesn't happen. Vanderbilt uses all that motivation from everything I just mentioned in a more healthy way. The Gamecocks walk out like zombies because they're playing in Nashville, Tennessee, and in a home environment that, quite honestly, is not a home environment for the home team. It's like you're just playing in an empty stadium almost, to a certain extent. I mean, Gamecock fans will show up because families are going to want to travel to Nashville and have a real fun weekend out on the town. But, I mean, you know, it's not going to feel, it's not going to be in Williams-Brice for the first time in several weeks. Maybe they're looking ahead to a team that they know they're going to have to really have their eight game against in Florida. There's a lot of things that could happen here. There, there's two different ways that game could play out. It's either going to be really good for South Carolina or it's going to be really bad and the noise will get even louder. Of course, I know South Carolina fans are hoping more so for the former than the latter. But what do you think is going to happen with that game? How do you think the Gamecocks will respond 
to the loss they suffered against the Missouri Tigers. Is there any takeaways that you have from the loss against Missouri that I did not mention on today's show? I want to hear all of y'all's thoughts, as always, down below in the comments section. If you're watching today's show on YouTube, you can also shoot me a direct message at a line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll be sure to respond to any replies or comments that you have for me as quickly as I see them. And once again, I want to thank y'all for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first listen every day. Now, for your next listen, I want y'all to please go check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, where the biggest stories of the day and instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day are all shown to the viewers and listeners from the Locked On Podcast Network. This is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts daily. But with all that being said, that does it for today's show, the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast. Thank you all once again for listening. Have a great Halloween for all of you who are going to be participating in the festivities and trick-or-treating later this evening. I'll catch you all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks Podcast. <laughs>